six, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I don't never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane by the visit, land rock, need crypto. Told me I should bring the Glock with me, so I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding? Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking From the birds to the bricks, we be in the mix With that rare candy paint job on the whip, who you with? Hey, so we have a, a returning guest Now, I checked the last time this guy came on It doesn't feel like that long ago But it's over a year ago that he's come on this show um, And uh, we got the last time he came on He basically predicted the whole Ukraine thing, the Ukraine thing felt so new. It was like, what was happening? The Russia, Ukraine uh, thing. But he, and he, and he went on to basically talk about hmm, everything that ended up happening. Uh, uh, but it's Max Blumenthal of the gray zone. Uh, he, he's with us. We're happy to have you back, man. Back. Good to be back. Yeah. It really doesn't feel like a year. Maybe because no, I listen to you guys yeah. and it's like, I'm letting you into my life. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah well, it's so, great. Well, it's crazy that lockdowns were like three years ago. That's really scary. You know, 20 March, 2020. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the, the thing about this uh, and now we, we see, I remember last time Max came on, Max was like, he was somewhere like in like an attic or something. It was, it was what the vibe looked like. Now he, dude, he's got the, the setup. Um, we jokingly, before we got on, called it like a daily wire Ben Shapiro style setup. <laughs> um, uh, but you do have some similar things as the Ben Shapiro. Do you, do you not? Yeah, that, that was my attic, but it was, it was finished. It's like a drywalled out attic. And then down here is my set that I use for all my other interviews. And basically what I did was I went to, I got these panels from Home Depot. It looks like, you know, I'm in like a craft IPA cabin, you know, <laughs> in like the Michigan Peninsula or something, but they're just like, they cost like 20 or 30 bucks each. You just take a jigsaw and, and cut them to size and then use some i mean you're supposed to have a nail gun but i could never figure out how to do that so i just you just put some some wood glue on the back or or whatever some uh some adhesive and nail them in and it looks and and then i realized that ben shapiro has the same thing Um, he did some home depot stuff so it's not as not even as cool as i thought yeah, exactly. And, you know, Ben Shapiro, he's uh, quite the woodworker himself, apparently. Um, yeah. There was a time. So I, what was the the scenario for this? Why, why was what it was. I just remember I knew it was one of those things, you know, where it's like he did the anti-protest. So people were mad at Home Depot and then he went to buy to support them by buying something at their store. And he just bought a wood plank, like just like a pine <laughs> plank that was like, you know, like half his height, yeah. you know, but he, but they put it in the plastic bag, like the, you know, like a grocery bag, basically. And be happy to share you, show you guys right here yeah, what what he had. <laughs> it's in a bag, yeah. And you just got his, he's got his his wooden plank. So that's, uh, yeah, that's that that's just the type of stuff. That ben ben that. is he's like, grassroots. What? Yeah. Well, it's also yeah. like, could I mean, I I freely admit I I couldn't really, I I. I went to home depot to get a nail gun and i was just like this is too complicated i can do the jigsaw i'm just gonna nail it by hand but i mean ben is really fulfilling jewish stereotypes there like everything (laughs) he does is like some anti-semitic stereotype like jews can't use their hands like you know we're just like these 
you know, put paper pushers. And then he's like, he's holding it. Like, he's like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> That's why like all the real, like hardcore right wingers hate him. Cause he, he's just, he <laughs> yeah. he's, he's like a bug yeah. man. Yeah. No, he's he's very Orange County. I mean, he's an Orange County guy. Those guys have always like the right wingers. There's always been like the rural kind of or southern kind of salt of the earth right winger, and then there's the Ben Shapiro Orange County guy. It's a very different type of thing. They're both they both typically vote for the same people, but it's there's it's not a they're not in unison on anything else usually. Yeah. No, I think he's more like an urban. It's more like the old style seventies urban Jewish guy who voted for the backlash politician because he just the blacks were moving into his neighborhood and he just didn't like that. And they're like, mm-hmm. they frighten him. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's Ben Shapiro, but he, he, you know, he suburbanizes it and he tries to clean it up. And he's like, I'm, I couldn't potentially be a racist. I mean, let's let's just interrogate the logic here. <laughs> poverty rate is increased by thirty four percent, and I'm supposed to appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's crazy? He went to Harvard Law and like wrote a book when he was in law school or like when he was an undergrad or some shit. He, like, that was when he's, he's he's been on the grind, dude. For every, he we wanted this. He he, he wrote, it was he a book about being a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was four hundred pages. Is <laughs> I mean, got that done in seventy yeah, pages, I mean, but and and um, his whole thing, like he's always mocking, like you know, racial minorities, if they get too offended or women or whatever, you know, and I get it. Like some of the, the woke stuff is, is out of control and, and like mm-hmm. easily, easy to mock. Like you have entire mm-hmm. podcasts that are just based on mocking woke culture. Yeah. But then anytime anyone says anything about the apartheid state of Israel, it's like <laughs> they just talked about his dead homies and his mother and he just goes ballistic. It's like, the most hypocritical yeah. stance you can possibly take for sure. Yeah. And so what, so you brought up Israel, you were, you were talking about, there's some, some protests going on there. Now I'm completely out of the, out of the loop on that. What is the deal with the protests? Yeah. yeah. For the prime minister's residence was raided two nights ago by, I mean, they pulled like a January six on him and huh. yeah, like a, an entire crowd of protesters stormed the prime minister's residence two nights ago. Um, the streets are filled in, in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem with hundreds of thousands of people. Let's, let's say at least tens of thousands of people. Damn. They're all Jewish. They're all waving Israeli flags, but they're protesting the, the most right-wing government in Israel's history. Hmm. And I wrote two books about Israel, Palestine. Um, one kind of predicted everything that was happening now. And it was about how Netanyahu had come in and this was a, a, a transitional point in Israeli history that Israel would from that point on be a right-wing country that would have no tolerance for any peace process or ending the occupation, that it saw no difference between the settlements in the West Bank and what, where the Jewish Israeli population lives in so-called Israel proper and that the um, religious nationalist elements would eventually take over because the occupation had been going on so long and so, and every Israeli male, female at age 18 has to be uh, serving in the army and gets indoctrinated yeah. at an early age to participate in army culture. So the whole society is basically mobilized for this permanent occupation. And what kind of politics is that gonna produce? It's gonna produce a militaristic, nationalistic, politics where more and more of the population becomes extremely religious 
which means like the base of Israel's support, which are liberal Jews in the U.S., are going to be pretty alienated. So what we're seeing now is, I mean, I wouldn't call it the culmination, but it's like uh, acceleration of the process that I described in my book, where Netanyahu has come in with a coalition um, in order for him to, you know, it's a parliamentary system. So you have to get like this guy who got like four seats and this guy got three seats and this lady got 12 seats and this, this weird party gets eight seats. So like the weird party in his coalition, there are several of them. One is and weird by, you know, liberal democratic standards. It's an ultra orthodox party. They don't want to serve in the military. They don't really want to, the men don't really work. They study Torah all day. <laughs> and they get they get tons of tax dollars. Why? Because they need Jewish bodies there to outnumber the Palestinians and they make tons of babies. They shoot babies out like t-shirt guns. Wow. And so that helps them with the demographic situation. So the ultra-Orthodox have a lot of power in Israel, but a, ho a whole part of the society hates them. The part of the society that's secular, serves in the military, resents them. Then you have these fanatical settler parties. This one party is called Jewish Power. It's like basically the equivalent of white power. Uh, I've, you know, interacted with them. I filmed them. If you go on YouTube, if you're listening to this, watch a video I made with um, an Israeli journalist named David Sheen called Israel's New Racism. And we basically followed a group from this party as they rioted. They carried out a pogrom against a community of African migrants in Tel Aviv and just were like spitting on pregnant African women and, mm. you know, carrying out like, it was like something out of Nazi Germany in the thirties. And we were just standing there filming it. And then the, in the end they attack us. It's all there. It's got millions of views. I think it has like 5 million, 8 million views. Um, actually I had an African neighbor in Jersey city where I was living when I produced that. And she, she just came up and she's like, you made that video. Everybody in Africa is watching it. So <laughs> this party is like, it's, it's like, if you, if you think about how much Israel puts into propaganda, into convincing the world that it's this great democracy. Then you have this party of Jew Jewish Nazis in the coalition because Netanyahu, it was the only way Netanyahu could come in, back into power is to get those four seats. Hmm. And they control one of the major security ministries, which means they have control over the national police. And the other person in the party who's advocated, Bezalel Smotrich, he's advocated separating maternity wards between Jewish and non-Jewish in hospitals. He is the finance minister, so he can control. He's just sending money to the settlements and to his fanatical buddies. So then Netanyahu himself, he's been in, he's the longest serving prime minister in forever, the longest serving prime minister. And he has all these corruption scandals, so many corruption scandals. I can't even count. And there's just hilarious, um, audio tapes of his sons who are like the ultimate fail sons uh -huh. uh, bragging about how like they can get some oligarch on the line who will pay for them to like um, tip strippers all night because their dad cut a gas deal with them. It's just like that they, 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 they Netanyahu is accused of siphoning off money from like German Holocaust reparations. And so what he wants to do is he's doing this legal reform that the settlers all support and they're going to weaken the power of the Supreme court. And so the liberal enlightened part of Israeli society that is the minority is basically waging kind of a color revolution and trying to overthrow Netanyahu by refusing to participate. They've done a general strike for the first time in like 30 years. The military reservists 
especially in the Air Force, because that's where the like you would call them the Ashkenazi elite. Like I'm an Ashkenazi Jew because I'm, I'm I'm white and I'm from Europe, right. European descent. So they're the elite of Israeli society. They are refusing to participate in the military now over this. And then at the heart of it is the Supreme Court, which is the considered sort of the protector of liberal Israeli society. And it's the part that like American liberal Jews who still believe in Israel really revere. Like um, Elena Kagan, the Supreme Court justice, her mentor was the Israeli former chief justice, Aharon Barak, who ushered in these kind of liberal laws that are non-binding called the basic laws that Netanyahu wants to roll back. So the point, there are a few points here. The first point is, this is about, this is like liberal Israeli society's last stand. The second point is liberal Israeli society is deeply connected to the Democratic Party and to liberal Jewish institutions in the US, which are in many ways sponsoring or supporting these protests. And number three, liberal Israeli society is deeply racist and responsible for the occupation and has no interest in ending, doing anything to address the horror that Palestinians are living through. And Palestinians are put on the sidelines. This isn't about, you know, helping Palestinians end the occupation. This isn't about human rights for them. This is about an internal fight among a culture war inside Israel. And uh, it's and so what the position I take is that what Netanyahu is doing is showing the real face of Israel that Palestinians have always understood and seen ever since 1948 and before when they were removed from their land at gunpoint and laws were ushered in under supposedly socialist governments in Israel. It was socialism for Jews only that would literally illegalize Palestinians from returning to their own homes and place the homes in the hands of the, of the government. And then the government would give out those homes to Jews, including um, Jews from the displaced persons camps in Europe who had lived through the Holocaust. There are stories of Jews coming from those camps coming to Palestinian homes and just taking the silverware, the dishes that the Palestinians had left as their own because they came with nothing. And that's the liberal Israel. The liberal Israel is the, the pilots who are refusing to participate in the military because of Netanyahu's judicial reforms, going and bombing uh, entire multifamily homes in the Gaza Strip with precision guided missiles following orders to exterminate entire families because the father belongs to the wrong political faction. He belongs to Hamas. That's liberal Israel. So I've, I mean, the sympathy I have for them is, is none. And what they're trying to do is get back to a time when Israel could continue slaughtering Palestinians, displacing them and occupying them and tell the world that it's a real democracy. And Netanyahu is just, and his Netanyahu's base is like, we can't be a democracy. We're just, we're for Jews. We're for Jewish power. And that's right. the way uh, politics across the West is going. I mean, if you look at, you know, European politics, people are getting more and more nationalistic and they're getting fed up with all of these um, liberal institutions. So um, that's the way I see those protests. So do you, do you think, so in terms of like nationalism, I, I'd like to, because, because it does seem like nationalism now, there are people that kind of retreat or kind of, 
not, when you look at what our society is like a very global society, like we have a global economy, you know, with COVID happening, there was a lot of global talk with, 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 with all that without getting too far into that, I guess what I mean is, do you, do you almost, can you understand why some people are like, well, nationalism, that makes more sense. You know what I mean? Why people maybe yeah, reactively might understand like, hey, I don't like this whole like global free trade thing that ruins my economy. My you know what I mean? That the the bad trade deals from the Clinton administration and stuff. Do you under, can you maybe sympathize why some people might be not racially nationalistic, but almost just territorially, at least? Well, there are different kinds of nationalism. It depends on what kind of country you have, like the national narrative of the U.S., is not, <clears throat> at least since the 1964 Civil Rights Act, but also just the way that most Americans, including people, many people who voted for Trump understand it is not that it is, you know, a country exclusively for white Christian people. Although I think mm -hmm. many people who support Trump might feel that way or be upset that right. it's changing, but there are different kinds of nationalism. And there's a concept of sovereignty that is at the heart of, for example, Latin American socialism. Cuban socialism, Venezuelan socialism, it's all about sovereignty, the right to defend your own, to control your, or, uh, you know, African revolutionary leaders like Patrice Lumumba, the right to control your own resources, profit from them and provide the profits to your people, your constituents. That's a form of mm -hmm. nationalism. Mm -hmm. Palestinian nationalism, they've been denied the ability to have a nation. So they are citizens of nowhere which means they have no formal rights. And so Palestinian nationalism is a constant fight. In many ways, it's an armed guerrilla fight to force Israel to recede from their territory so they can have land in order to have a nation. And Palestinian nationalism is the most demonized form of nationalism in the world. I think if many um, America firsters in the US would understand what who Palestinians are, that they are an agricultural farm-based people who have been fighting this Red Dawn style fight against mm. an occupying, invading force for their land. That they would, and that they are their tradition. They're a traditional culture. They're also fighting for their traditional culture. Mm -hmm. That they would identify with them more. Israeli yeah. nationalism is entirely based around the concept that Jews comprise a nation, that a religion comprises a nation, mm -hmm. and that the nation must be representative exclusively of that, of members of that religion. And so everybody else who exists within the realm of that nation cannot have formal rights or their rights are severely weakened like the uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel. Um, so, I, I mean, that's not a form of nationalism I can get behind. So the question is, what is the national narrative? But what you're talking about also is, is sovereignty. And yeah, more and more mm -hmm. people are seeing, for example, I'm very sympathetic to the migrants who go to Europe because they have nowhere else to go. But I, I also mm -hmm. have to um, feel sorry for Europeans who are having their pensions reduced and taken away. And all of a sudden, they're, while their governments are giving weapons to jihadists in Syria and creating a humanitarian catastrophe, people from that country come and then they have to, um, mm -hmm. you know, pay for these um, migrant centers. And like, I mean, Germany welcomed a million migrants while mm -hmm. the German workers saw their quality of life declining rapidly. And so the answer there is stop bombing those countries, stop right. flooding them with weapons or 
in in our case, stop passing these free trade deals and giving these jobs away. I mean, the the anti-immigrant sentiment that you you can just you can feel in in so many uh, you know border communities across the U.S. I spent a ton of time on the border on both sides. It it coincided directly with NAFTA and like what I saw yeah. in the first article I ever did actually. Um, when I was getting into journalism, I went to Ciudad Juarez on the Mexican side of the um, uh, El Paso border from the other side of El Paso. El Paso was one of the safest cities in America at the time I went there. It was like 2002 when I went and Juarez was experiencing a wave of serial killings of women. And I went with families who were looking for their daughters uh, outside town. Uh, just they would go every weekend to look for their daughter's bodies and I went to um, a pit, which had been a mass grave that nine girls had just been found in. And no one knew who was killing them or what was killing them. But who were they? They were all young women who had come alone to this giant city to work in the maquilladoras or the sweatshops being set up by U.S. corporations that moved across the border overnight. And El Paso was actually deteriorating because it lost its Levi's plant, which was like where the... The blue collar, the blue collar population of El Paso, like you could all get it, you could always get a job at this massive Levi's plant okay. and have like a stable life, and that just went away overnight. It went to the other side of the border, and then horror erupted. So, of course, I identify with that, and like the term globalist, it is associated with uh, anti-Semitism. But what right. do we call Bill Gates? Yeah, like yeah, here's yeah. the guy who simultaneously. Like, well, I got some funding. names I could call him, but I don't think we want to air him. You know, I but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's not like you know we you know people a lot of people I'm around they're anti-imperialist, so they have this understanding of imperialism as the highest stage of capitalism, and it represents yeah. the West. Um, but and so you have like imperialist billionaires like George Soros who are actually trying to carry out regime change operations in former <laughs> socialist countries open up their economies and then come in and and pillage i mean he's it's like kind of a stereotype and he works with the CIA to do so but then you got bill gates bill gates you know he funds he and you know he's heavily involved in us politics he's the largest landowner in america he don't, mm -hmm. He's donated $350 million to U.S. media. He's highly influential here, but he's also friends with Xi Jinping in China. Right. He's close to the Chinese government. He's not hostile to them. So that would an imperialist like George Soros wants to topple the Chinese government. Soros said that. So what is Bill Gates? Mm -hmm. What do we call him? I mean, I think that the term globalist would apply to him pretty well. He sees no national borders, is loyal to no country. And only wants power for he essentially wants world control for him, himself yeah. and his clique. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's funny because we talk about this a lot on the podcast with billionaires. We're like, globalists is the term that kind of right wingers are using now and have used in the past. Whereas imperialism, that's like the leftist term. Yeah. And you know, like the leftists are really scared of saying anything bad about Soros or even Bill Gates because that's a that you're a chud if you do that right right wing right, right. right yeah uh-huh but but mark cuban fair game like critic critique him you know like all elon richard branson elon yeah exactly so it's it's funny they're all it's all the same thing yeah it's it's interesting where are you saying Glenn? no i i just i just mean in, in a sense like yeah it's it's people are afraid 
just going off what you said, people are afraid to just call evil evil. And, you know, to me, I just call Bill Gates evil. Like, like I get it. You want to attach kind of like a, you know, a, a, a term, like a big geopolitical term to him, because it, it does. It is helpful to do that when you get into the, like a lot of high level conversations. But I look at what he does and it's just like, man, it, it's evil stuff. Why does he need all that farmland? You see what he's doing with it. What the last three years? I mean, the guy the guy was basically on the right side of the last three years, which many Americans are now finally waking up to, at least, though it's not the number I want it to be as kind of like a reset. Right. I, I mean, I don't want to uh, that term's been beaten to a pulp. So it's like, what else do you call Bill Gates? Right. It's that's that's what yeah. that's what I say. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, there isn't much left opposition to Bill Gates. Uh, it isn't like as ferocious as it should be. I mean, here's someone who he's he clearly is buying up all the land so he can control the means of production and food supply. Mm -hmm. And one man with that level of control through a series of companies should be the target, like the ultimate target of yeah. uh, the socialist left. But you don't hear that much about him. And then George Soros, you're always told you're an anti-Semite if you criticize <laughs> yeah. George Soros. Yeah. The, the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Uh, if mm -hmm. you talk about things that the Open Society Foundations actually fund, okay, why are we equating George Soros with Judaism? If we do that, we are denigrating Judaism and Jews because, I mean, he essentially, he's he's not as bad as Sheldon Adelson, but he's kind of an anti-Semitic stereotype. Uh, and so we should be you know, criticizing him as someone who is, you know, not representative of Jews, but like everyone, every single one of his defenders calls you an anti-Semite. If you say anything about him right. writing in the New York Review of Books, for example, which he funds and helps con and, and influences that the U.S. should topple the Syrian government by force. Like I can't mm -hmm. criticize, if I criticize that, I'm an anti-Semite. Yeah. Um. And it's just Soros keeps coming up in our work at the gray zone because he funds everything we're exposing alongside the CIA. It's like the classic CIA modus operandi where he they cannot directly fund civil society organizations that are trying to topple a government that the U.S. wants removed. So they go to their billionaire proxies like Soros, who was identified in a 1991 Washington Post article by David Ignatius as a overt operator on behalf of the CIA. He wrote that Soros and the National Endowment for Democracy are doing what the CIA used to do in secret overtly. And so it's right mm -hmm. there in the Washington Post. And so I'm not allowed to criticize that. But mm -hmm. Elon, I mean, that's just so... Yeah, it's 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 like we can only criticize the the like more buffoonish billionaires. Who right, like, it's yeah. the it's the which I to be honest, I tend to, and and this is not a defense of Elon Musk because I've I've seen the early I being a Silicon Valley you know resident and stuff. I've seen the you know the uh, the rise of Elon Musk, and I've never been a fan. However, it's just like the eccentric, you know, making outlandish statement billionaire in public to me is more of a natural i have a bunch of money rather type of thing rather than like actually you'll never see me you know george soros actually my son i think it's alex or something his son yeah. uh, will have his instagram where he's like just watching the ducks with my dad out on the lake yeah, you know that like that's like that. like yeah. just like he has those like you know things it's all this like secret like you know you'll never know who this guy is you'll never know that like even bill gates shows his face 
You know, he's yeah. weird and awkward and annoying, but like he shows his face, he'll go on 60 minutes, he'll go on these and that. Like Soros, you never see this guy. So I think the mis- mystery behind these big money, Sheldon Adelson, all these guys, these big money guys, that's the scary thing is when you don't see them making the weird outlandish thing. Right. Like that, that's when things start right. to get weird. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Soros, he's just not a very appealing character. He's also no. very old, but he has like a thick Hungarian accent and he just comes off like a, a stereotype. It's just so he's probably been advised not to talk. Sheldon Adelson, I mean, what is he? He's someone who said he was res- he he resented uh, or he, he was sorry that he served in the U.S. military or the U.S. Army when he was younger. He wished he had served in the Israeli army. <laughs> his, whole, his entire mission is to guide uh, U.S. policy in support of Israel's right wing and have a war with Iran. He said publicly that he that the U.S. should drop a nuclear weapon on Iran. And yet he's operating in the inner sanctum of American politics that, you know, you would think there would have been more alarm about that, but instead we're, we're, we always, we hear about these random guys who have some Russian heritage. Actually, most of them are, are dual Israeli citizens who are um, forcing or who are influencing Trump to do Russia's bidding. Like all we heard about during Russia gay were these random guys I'd never heard of before. Gordanchenko uh, oh. and Felix Sater and, um, I mean, no American could even keep track of all the names. And it was to convince us that Trump was a Russian asset. Meanwhile, Sheldon Adelson right. sitting right in the front row when Trump's giving a speech that's next to Netanyahu telling him like, we, I'm giving you money to have a war with Iran <laughs> and no. And then like the press is like, we're, we're not going to tell you who that guy is. <laughs> yeah. And he, he funded, I, I think he funded. You know, I'm a I'm a big uh, Las Vegas Raiders fan, and and he he uh, I think he like was was the big money behind the the stadium out there too. And I remember seeing that name. I'm like, yeah. dude, come on, yeah. really? Like, I look, I know I know that funding's always going to come from someone I probably don't care for, but it's just funny to see because the, the Davis family is one of the few football ownership families where like their only asset is football. It's not yeah. like Johnson, Woody Johnson, <laughs> yeah, you know, Kraft. or, or right. yeah, Kraft, like all those guys. It's like, no, we're just, we just bought a football team when it was really cheap. So yeah. therefore, therefore we have this, um, but yeah, it's like seeing Adelson's name on there. It's just like, man, they get, they get and Al Davis was always the bad guy, you know, yeah. historically yeah. in football. Well, and Woody like Johnson. Yeah. I mean, how many like yeah. Woody Johnson's just running around, like, like paralyzing people's faces and, you know, <laughs> uh, Bob, Bob Kraft completely sinister character but you know it's al davis yeah. the big bad al davis with his dark shade. <laughs> yeah. have you been in the venetian by the way what's that have you been to the venetian the adelson hotel uh, i have casino? yes i absolutely it's have. actually kind of cool oh it's awesome he's got good taste i'm not gonna say he the stadium's <laughs> cool too i mean the stadium's yeah. great too hey i mean like like i said like when elon bought tw- when elon bought twitter or something like i don't care for elon's car product I don't care for a lot of the stuff that that he does. I didn't, you know, th- there's some things I thought was okay, like not turning his Tesla factory into a ventilator factory for a <laughs> month. I thought was a, a wise decision by him. But like the the idea that, um, you know, when I was like, oh man, it would be really cool if he literally just concentrated on only Twitter. That would just be cool to me. Because yeah. like, honestly, I don't have to use, I mean, yeah, I understand it's a really good, big, part it's a weird thing when they want to control free speech but twitter was always owned by a billionaire so who cares like yeah. it's not if that's not moving the needle to me <laughs> you all would have been under the old regime i think it was only a matter of time before you all were banned 
Mm-hmm. We we were uh, I mean, for a while, it was like, you know, we were kind of just under that threshold of like not the big name. So it's OK. But for a while, I got warnings. I mean, definitely shadow banned to the point where I was like, but then all of a sudden Elon took over and people start seeing what I post again. I'm not that doesn't mean I'm an Elon fan, but I doesn't mean that, uh, you know, when he owns it, maybe the, personally for me, it's better um, for the people who were actually right about things. And I do see people still getting censored under elon's thing like people that are saying good things so it's not it's not to say that he created right. this free speech platform because you never will it's that it's a monetized platform like that's never going to be free speech i mean it's always going to serve some sort of interest i mean he did one thing that i will be forever grateful for i would shake his hand for it and it's the twitter files like it confirmed yeah. so much of what we had been saying yeah, on Twitter, that was incredible at the gray zone, which is that the intelligence agencies were controlling social media and censoring dissent. And it's, it, it you know, the Jim Jordan hearing mm-hmm. in the House Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. I don't, you know, obviously there's some cynicism behind it, some partisan politics guiding what Jordan is doing, but bringing Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger there to expose how in the intelligence agencies, the FBI and the, the government agencies down to, you know, the CDC had been censoring factual content and blocking and banning people for simply disagreeing with the political establishment and the Biden administration was as important as anything that was done during the church committee, because these are our digital commons. This is where the Twitter is as important as having a telephone in the 1950s at this point or, or any social media platform. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. And, and the enemy of humanity is the, are these intelligence agencies there and they're, they're operating in a completely opaque, undemocratic fashion. So I think Elon com- contributed something to humanity there, uh, almost made yeah. up for all the government money he took for SpaceX to blow up a bunch of fancy objects in the sky. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's like to me, hey man, if you want to laser focus on that, I have no problem with that. I because I, I I know for a while he was like, I, am I going to collapse? You know, my am I going to do space or am I going to do cars? Am I going to do? It's like that. It's like, hey, why don't you just do social media? I have no problem with that. Like I I have I I know I can navigate throughout that through that. I know I can look at a, maybe a few posts that might hurt my feelings a little bit, you know, because I've used Twitter before 2016. So I, I would be able to to do that and navigate throughout that world because it was headed to a point where it was really feeling like just that true mass formation psychosis, but with as an enforceable law by by social media companies. And it's it was uh, I'm, I'm glad that, it, that it, we seem to be out of that in a, in, in a way, you know. Yeah. It was like you look at the right side of your screen under the old regime and there would just be like fact check. It's like yeah. something mm-hmm. that is clearly true that upsets the establishment is is mostly untrue. And right. then, you know, all these nudge messages like getting vaccinated improves your uh, like reduces your risk of car accidents by 13 percent. New study. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, on that note, I, I got we got to revisit Ukraine. I know you've been talking about this a yeah. lot, but to be, to be honest, I mean, you know, like you, you came on here, like I said, a year ago, laid out the whole plan. And it to, to say, are you are you shocked? Was it worse than you thought? Or did you is it about as bad? <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, I thought it would. In the, I got a, f- a few things wrong in the beginning. I thought it would end more quickly right. with some kind of negotiations over the Donbass region, which is just 
almost entirely ethnic Russian at this point. Uh, why would Ukraine need or want that? And the West came in and sabotaged the negotiations that were clearly going to take place in April. And so it led to a kind of a bloodbath because Russia had sent in a large convoy, lots of uh, infantry and cavalry towards the Kiev Oblast, which is at the center of Ukraine along the Dnipro River. And they didn't go, had no, they had no intention of going into this major city and having like grinding urban combat. It would have been terrible for them. But the idea was that it would frighten Ukraine into coming to the table to see that much Russian armor and infantry there. And instead, what happened was Boris Johnson came in as Zelensky was preparing to go to the negotiating table and said, we're going to give you tons of weapons. We're going to give you tons of um, aid. We're going to basically fund your entire government, prop up your country, and we're going to make you an international hero. And, you know, you are an actor. Your ego is going to be stroked for the rest of time if you just continue this war. And the Ukrainian military is pretty good. And they had these Javelin missiles that could take out Russian armor that the U.S. provided. And so they went in and, and they fought. They lost a lot of men, but so did Russia. And the war just intensified. It, it continued to grind on. But I always knew that Ukraine would eventually run out of men, run out of material. And the West politically was not in a place where it could just have another endless proxy war. And that's where we are right now. Ukraine is just, just they're, they're falling apart. Their military is falling apart before our eyes. And their experienced soldiers have all been killed, which is a huge tragedy. Uh, they could have all been alive. Right. And I think it will wind, it will end up the way that it could have been if there had been negotiations in April, 2022, hmm. which is that there will be some settlement over Crimea and the Eastern part of the country. Yeah. yeah. That's it. It's, it's nuts. Cause it's just like every day, you know, and, and this is something like we, we defer to you on, on certain things like this. It's not something I'm well-versed in or anything, but I, I do know one thing when I see huge amounts of money where you'll just see these like headlines um, every celebrity jumping in, like we're, I have a funny story to share a little bit later, but like, like every celebrity jumping in saying, we need to, we need to mobilize Ukraine, help mobilize Ukraine. They need our help. They need our help. But then you'll see like, well, Biden's offering X amount of billion of dollars to them. And Zelensky's like, that's it. Can, can I get it? Yeah. Can we, can we ramp that up a little? Like it's like a shark tank negotiation almost like, okay. and uh, you know, and, and then it's like just seeing that amount of money in a time where just two years ago, people were losing their businesses People were yep. Um, yep. often losing their houses or just anything like that. Uh, even people that were owning property weren't able to collect rent. So you just see an overall just collapse of people below all these elected officials really fighting each other. But we're supposed to just we're supposed to just deeply hope that Ukraine gets the money, gets our money. We're supposed to deeply hope that they get that. It's just so sad. Yeah, yeah I mean Ted Nugent. I don't know if you saw it, like <laughs> yeah, the Trump rally. <laughs> he just like. He was like, where's all my money going? I don't want my money going to some homosexual in Kiev. And I mean, <laughs> okay. I mean, you didn't need to say it like that. And, uh, you know, you're yeah. Ted Nugent and psycho, but the whole crowd is just going nuts. They're, they're not down with it. And, you know, 20 years ago, these people would have been like, let's get Bin Laden and Saddam. Right. Connected my thing. Right. Now they're not into it anymore. Yeah. And that to me is a very positive development because those people saw yeah. the – 
that the moral injury that was caused by, they, I mean, they, they felt it in middle America, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. They knew people whose legs were blown off, who had been yeah. driven to suicide, uh, who had simply died better than a lot of people on the coast. Although like LA, California, the Chicano areas, they have like some of the highest enlistment rates. But mm. the point is that they, they're, they're not, they're not primed for these kinds of psychotic wars anymore. The uh, U.S. economy is not growing and producing the same kind of um, prosperity as it used to. So they're not feeling that. And so this is an education for many people in the U.S. who never read Noam Chomsky and checked his footnotes on what the empire really is. And I think it's a turning point where you have these psychopaths around Joe Biden, these neoconservative, neoliberal ideologues who are guiding his foreign policy, Victoria Newland, Jake Sullivan, and Anthony Blinken. And they want to actually use this proxy war as a springboard to wage war on China over Taiwan. And then you have like the Marines, officer level Marines have no interest in doing that. Uh, and you have veterans and you have uh, red America who are just, they're just not going to be on board for it all, at all. And the military is having its greatest recruitment crisis in history and openly says it. So where is this taking us? It's taking us to an internal crisis because the post-war U.S. has thrived on its ability to constantly wage these very profitable wars without any consequence back home politically or otherwise. I mean, we saw Vietnam, there were some serious political consequences. And so they got rid of the draft. Then Iraq, well, we just got rid of George W. Bush and continued being in Iraq. Yeah. Here, I think we've reached kind of a, term, a, a terminal point. Yeah, yeah the trust, the trust doesn't seem to be there. Like the trust doesn't, I mean, amongst the, you know, people who basically clockwork orange themselves to have, you know, liberal news networks on uh, pupping, yeah. you know, propping up Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, those people, I don't, they're beyond, I, sadly, they're in my family, but they, you know, yeah. those people, I don't ever want to talk politics with them again. I literally just want to talk like almost have like dementia style conversations with them where it's very like, <laughs> Like, like, no, I, I, it sounds rude, but it's just like, I don't ever want anything to get serious around them again, because I know that they, we, we just don't agree anymore. But for the overall, I mean, we're just not getting the benefits of like, you know, wartime us, like where you'd get jobs created for it. You'd get all these certain things. Like we don't get those benefits of it. It's like, even after the Iraq right. war, whoever supported who didn't, there's a housing collapse a couple of years later after that. Like there's, there's yeah. all these, like the benefits aren't there from this. And, and it's like, you know, now you just watch celebrities like it's it's all just it's like a celebrity war it's the weirdest thing with with uh with ukraine like just yeah. today this came out yeah. i don't know if you saw this max but it just came out that mark hamill uh luke skywalker uh lends star wars voice to ukrainian air raid app so basically uh, oh you, you, uh so essentially like ukrainians can get their app on their phone and mark hamill he doesn't warn them of airstrikes, which that would be insane, but like he doesn't warn them of airstrikes, but he says things like, don't be careless. Your overconfidence is your weakness. So he's basically telling them to keep their head on a swivel like this is I'm sorry, it's like a Reddit war. Like, it's weird. Like, it's yeah. like I'm not trying to downplay anything that's happened. I, I know that there's horrible violence that's happening. I don't sit here saying, come on, Russia, do this. Yeah, do this. But I know that, like, for me, the whole Ukraine side of it and just my country, which has never really been honest with me in my life but 
in the last three years has decided to ramp up the lying to a degree that is so jarring that it hurts to even talk about sometimes when that happens like i just i tend to be like man let's just stop just stop <laughs> yeah yeah mark hamill i mean who has heard of mark hamill since star wars this is you see all these washed up actors like Orlando Bloom went to meet yeah. with Zelensky yesterday. It's like anyone who can meet with Zelensky, it's a career boost because he's one of the most famous actors in the world. And Mark Hamill was previously raising weapons for the Ukrainian military. He's raising money for, for weapons, uh. um, which means, you know, he's raising money for U.S. weapons manufacturers. But mm -hmm. the air raids are not really, you know, they're, Ukrainian cities are not really experiencing air raids right now. Like, it's not like the Battle of Britain and people are huddled in the subways. Most of the fighting, if not all the fighting is in the East. The fighting is over a series of population centers and the Ukrainian military. Well, first of all, the Ukrainian military police are running around cities, hunting any male of military age, which could be between 16 and 50. And they wrap them up and bundle them into a van and drive them off. And then they send them to the front. And you've got little kids and old men being sent to the front because all the experienced fighters are being killed in cities like Bakhmut. And the and Zelensky keeps reinforcing his forces there, even though they have clearly lost. They're overwhelmed. They're in a basically a cauldron, which means they're surrounded by Russian artillery units and they're running out of supply lines. And why is he doing it? It's because he needs to convince the West to send more money and send more weapons that the battle is still being won. And the press is trying to crank it up, but the, you can see seeping out into the Washington Post and the New York Times headlines, uh, Ukraine is running out of men, running out of munitions. They're starting to admit that it's falling apart. So why, why yeah. do we stand by if we care so much about Ukraine and all these liberals have Ukrainian flags fluttering over their homes? If they care so much, then why do they continue to oppose negotiations that right. would end the slaughter because they're just being sent into a, a wood chipper of death. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it's like and it's because and it's they're whole... being lied to. They they just because, yeah. like you said, the people you know, they're they're ingesting blue anon MSNBC Clockwork Garden style propaganda about victory, and although victory is never defined. And I mean, <laughs> if you can, yeah, if you want to get true. to the core of how delusional these people are, and we we all have them in our lives, if we we know liberals and we care about or liberal family members or friends, you know, you live in a mm -hmm. big city, you're going to meet them. Ask yeah. them, do they think Joe Biden should run again? Or how is Joe Biden doing? Yeah. And I mean, to a person, they will say, I think he's doing pretty well. And like, does he have dementia? Like, what are you talking about? That's like a right wing talking point. Yeah. Like, right. It's staring yeah. you right in the face. The president is like late stage Reagan or worse. He's just babbling, yeah. drooling. You know, yeah. he yeah, there was a mass shooting yesterday, and he was talking about giving chocolate out to kids. Yeah, at the press conference, <laughs> shaking hands of people that aren't Hold there. On, let him yeah. let him cook. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like the right has this, like, the right understands that there's a deep state, but everyone like the 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 liberals blew in on. They think Biden's in charge. Like he's actually like yeah. calling the shots. Yeah. Yeah, and liberals think the deep state is like their garbage man that voted for Trump too. That's like the sad, the the sad part about it all is like it's like you guys like have like have such like low aspirations for what like you know behind the scenes actually is. Like they think it's like this network of like like 
they actually like it's weird like they hate QAnon but they think QAnon's actually real like they think QAnon like Trump actually yeah. like sends yeah. signals to like the people down you know like they 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 send say, like Trump sends these like weird like brainwave signals and like all these like random guys with shovels in their hands and high visibility vests on just look up in the sky and they're going like okay yeah Trump I got it we'll we'll do that we'll, you yeah. know we'll do another terrible event or something like and it's it's just it's just delusion I mean it's what happens when you're locked in your house for a couple of years and all you watched was the news and yeah. one form of news therefore like those people like you thought you're only alive because you did that so therefore anything they say after that yeah well they also they also think everything's queuing on like this guy thinks that america blew up the pipeline that's queuing on you know yeah good point. which is I, yeah. I know that's old news but i wanted to talk what i didn't i never talked to you about that the pipeline thing that seemed to kind of get glossed over even though it was big news like that seems crazy to me like what's going on there? yeah i mean that's the the nord stream pipeline sabotage has been great for america's elite it's been yeah. great for u.s geopolitical power and so that was another reason that the u.s wanted to keep this war going or at least the people around biden but also the people around ted cruz uh in texas the lick the lng people the you know domestic oil and gas producers because mm. think about it from their point of view all right you're you're funding Germany's military through NATO and helping them defray the costs of their social democracy. We have none here. And at the same time, they're building this pipeline with Russia where Russia is going to supply cheap natural gas to them to heat their homes. And they're not buying your liquid natural gas from Texas, which provides all the jobs there. Everyone's working hard there, capping the wells, building their you know, facilities. Germany should buy from us. Yeah. And then think about it from the point of view of like a Washington neocon. Russia is has some of the most is one of the res, most resource rich countries on the planet. Germany has some of the most advanced technical know how and industry on the planet, and the two of them are getting together, connecting physically through a pipeline that will also produce political ties, which will take Germany further away from the U.S. orbit and bring technological know-how together with rich natural resources and it will weaken you. It's like uh, Big New Brzezinski's grand chessboard, which really explains the overarching theory and strategy of American empire. That's your nightmare, is Germany and Russia get together and then Russia's getting together with China. So you're losing the whole Eurasian continent. So you've got to blow up that pipeline and you have... Mm perfect cover to do so with this war and so what do you do you blow it up and then you blame russia for blowing up its own pipeline yeah and um, was that seymour hirsch that that eventually like i i know i don't know if he was the first guy to say it but it seems like that's who got everybody riled up about suggesting yeah. that that it, that it happened i mean he he kind of caught a lot of flack for that yeah. well it's like the, the beltway press the, the u.s press is so disciplined that they will never apply pressure or scrutiny on the worst act of industrial sabotage in history, which was also a huge environmental catastrophe. All this methane <laughs> gas went up into the atmosphere and all the environmental yeah. groups were like, well, well, let's look the other way because we're totally controlled and funded by Mike Bloomberg. And, yeah. you know, so there wasn't any pressure on the administration after this took place. Then Seymour Hirsch, the most famous investigative journalist alive, who exposed everything from the My Lai massacre to the Abu Ghraib torture scandal mm -hmm. comes forward with a Substack article 
with a well-placed source explaining how this operation took place, how it was authorized by the CIA and ultimately by Biden. And it was carried out by divers trained in Panama City, Florida, and it took place under the cover of the Baltops U.S. Naval exercises in the Baltic Sea. It all kind of fit with how I understood it could have taken place. And he may have gotten, uh, there, may, there may have been some things that he didn't get right, but he basically explained what everyone knew to be true. And yeah. it forced a response. And the response was hilarious. First, the New York Times publishes a piece based on controlled leaks provided by the administration or U.S. intelligence claiming that a pro-Ukrainian group had actually done it, not the U.S., but a pro-Ukrainian group. So they dropped the lie about Russia doing it, and they said a pro-Ukrainian mm -hmm. group, some private operators. Private operators. And, and they finally yeah. mentioned Seymour Hersh's article in the New York Times in the 23rd paragraph wow. uh, as the means of dismissing it. Uh, then Germany starts its own operation, its own PSYOP. And this is after German Chancellor Olaf Scholz had just returned from Washington. They say that a pro-Ukrainian group of private Ukrainians in a pleasure yacht called the Andromeda carried explosives across the Polish border by land to Germany, then embarked, disembarked from Rostock, Germany to the Baltic Sea in a literal pleasure yacht and then dove to the deepest part somehow of the Nord Stream pipelines and attached massive amounts of explosives that were capable of blasting through rebar and concrete reinforcements. And then they were able to come up without massive oxygen tanks or a decompression chamber to this pleasure yacht and escape in one of the most heavily surveilled parts of the world and also somehow they knew where the pipelines were even yeah, though they that's my thing government. yeah well, like it's in the it's like like you it's off the grid damn near like if you if you were to just be searching like you're like i don't know where this is like the technology i mean but again the way people believe that is these are people that think like the Kennedy assassination, just Lee Harvey Oswald, one guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. look how he got it done. And great, and great, insane thing how that got done. Like, it's like all the, we're always taught that it's just this one like Marvel villain that takes out yeah. this one thing. It's never us. Wouldn't be us. You yeah. know, yeah, even though that's often the, the twist, even in the Marvel movie, is it actually it went through is. His head, yeah. <laughs> his head went back and to the right. And then yeah. it went, it turned around and took a U turn and went into John Connolly's mm -hmm. chest. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I don't know if you've ever been to Dealey Plaza. I have, have you ever have. been to the, You got to go. Okay, so you you can go to the Texas Book Depository, but then they fence off the area where Oswald shot from and they recreate like all the books there, which is kind of cool, but you can kind of get a sense of the shot. And the car's coming around a turn, but it has a chance to speed up a little bit. It's an impossible shot. And he had ordered what's <laughs> like an Italian model like a uh, single shot like field rifle that he ordered by mail it wasn't like a sniper <laughs> rifle so yeah i mean if he did it it was the luckiest shot ever and if these ever. divers in a in a, <laughs> in a pleasure yacht pulled that off like they have the biggest lungs on earth exactly yeah <laughs> exactly and and it's like you know we we as americans like you know while that's happening we have uh the east palestine which why is it East Palestine? It's just such a I, the the a town yeah, in Ohio. Yeah. It's so it's so they call insane. It Palestine there. Oh, is it, is it okay? And uh, so it's like they have the you know 
the train a train derails a bunch of what we think are our hazardous chemicals are leaking then the the op, the the response to that is to blow that up and just put a mushroom cloud over a whole city very uh dom delillo white noise and um then you have the uh you know our, our mutual friend jeremy lafredo just went out there i was like you're insane but go ahead you know like you just go straight to the chem i'd be like i'm i'd be like i told him to mask up like jokingly but kind of you know and like <laughs> <laughs> i was like go go check it out like hey man wear, wear a mask man like hey <laughs> be careful and uh, so he goes out there and like even he's a little like confused he's like yeah it like seems really bad but like the people cleaning stuff up aren't wearing any protective gear and you know you see stuff some of the ecosystem belly up in the uh like frogs and things like that belly up and like some of this stuff happens but it's like we're almost just like conditioned to stuff like blowing up and lighting on fire i live in california and it's like earthquakes and stuff lighting on fires we're just like hey that's just gonna happen I, i hate to break it to you and it's like but this is like it's like Union Pacific Railroad, right? I mean, it's like, this is like, this is crazy. These type of things, like it's just, everything's blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I would just recommend everyone watch Jeremy's report. Yeah. It was one of the only independent reports that kind of was like a standalone documentary from East Palestine, where he would just go up in the gas station or um, in, in repair shops and interview people about what was happening. And they would provide a really detailed account of how everything that was done by Union Pacific was absolute. I'm sorry, Norfolk Southern by Norfolk Southern was like absolutely the wrong thing to do. And that they were being told everything was fine. Just move on. And there was this horrible smell in the air that was burning their lungs and they don't know what will continue, what will, how that will play out in the long run for their health um for the sustainability of east palestine as a town many of them are talking about having to move be- and who is telling them everything was fine it was an environmental testing group that was literally a front for norfolk southern that was being sponsored by the company responsible for this spill that had also been implicated or sued by the department of justice for producing uh, phony findings in one of the worst toxic spills in U.S. history. Uh, Jeremy also documented private police who were sponsored by Norfolk Southern trying to keep people away from certain areas. And then, you know, he went to the streams like every other reporter did and just showed hundreds and hundreds of dead frogs and fish and wildlife. I mean, it it was chilling. Yeah. Because- but it, it took place in a small town that's sort of a sacrifice zone. And we have sacrifice zones across America. Um, so I th- it, it was ignored initially. The media yeah. wasn't going out there. The administration didn't want to talk about it. Democrats in Congress didn't want to talk about it. And it really like came down to independent media, local authorities. And then, you know, the, 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 the Trump element started – seizing on it because it made the Biden administration look completely neg- neglectful. Why? Because where was Biden? No, yeah, he wouldn't go. Yeah, he was meeting Zelensky and having a fake air raid. Like, remember oh, yeah. when he came out with Zelensky and they're holding hands? Yeah. And they put up, they, they put on an air raid siren, even though there was no air raid. There were no bo- there was no bombing taking place of Kiev. It was to dramatize the situation. 
Whereas Americans were horrified about what's happening at home. So it was, it perfectly crystallized what we're living through right now, where you have an administration that clearly cares more about their Ukrainian proxy than they do about the people they're supposed to represent. And we're supposed to pay for that. Yeah. We're supposed to be exactly. paying the pensions of the Ukrainian uh, of, of Ukrainians. We're paying Ukrainian pensions right now with our tax. Yeah. Dollars. And that's why I don't think I ultimately don't think you see the overall enthusiasm for U.S. intervention like like we did even 20 years ago is is because of that is because you can go if you live in that small town in Ohio and you see a big mushroom cloud outside your house. You're like, and my the president won't even come here to check it out. We do. I have to I have to go find this. It, brilliant independent journalist but i have to go like actively know who jeremy lafredo is to go find honest reporting on it and and just just hear what the town is saying on it and it's it's just an overall distrust and and i mean they have no one to blame but themselves and i you know i i am tentative to say you know oh maybe that'll help people just kind of mobilize a little bit i don't know i'm a little i'm a little leery of that because there's always a little wrench that gets thrown in that every single time but it's uh a little bit uh it's 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 unsettling but at the same time it's nice to see people you know other than the people we all know are gonna you know carry water for the democrat party it is nice for to see people just have that genuine distrust and kind of just like nobody at my work talks about russia and ukraine which is really nice and i work in a like a blue collar area which 20 years ago they would have been talking about iraq you know like it's it's well the whole iraq thing was also like we were attacked true and yeah it felt like the further you got away from New York, the more people cared about 9-11. For some reason, it made them feel American. Yeah. Uh, it gave them yeah. something to believe 100%. in. Mm-hmm. There, what was the attack here? It was, oh, it was worse than Pearl Harbor. It was compared to 9-11. It was that Russia hacked us somehow. That didn't yeah. really, that doesn't really resonate with like hacking of- uh, It doesn't land, yeah. It doesn't yeah, really land attack. with color people, especially when it, prevented hillary clinton from getting in office it's kind of like yeah. oh no yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> oh no yeah i know yeah. exactly and then and then silicon valley made sure they fortified the next one so uh, thank god that got yeah. solved strongest right? election all time. yeah strong yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank Weird god Russia um, didn't attempt it again no, no, they only, it was a one-time yeah. thing, in and out, kind of a, well, you know, like those last, uh, like those ba- bank heist movies, like, hey, I got one last one in me, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, <laughs> you and patched up. we found the patch. I'm done, man. I'm going to somewhere else, man. I'm going to Mexico, yeah. yeah. But uh, like, so I, my last down. question for you, Max, and I and I do thank you for your time. My last question for you, and this is, uh, you you don't have to comment on this if you don't want to, but every, you know, for me, Uh-oh. ever since we had John, I no, it's not bad. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's. We 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 uh doesn't involve any needles or anything. Trust me. But uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, when when I after we had you on, I paid much more attention to like just the way people responded to you and stuff. And like every day, I would see people that you know, not naming anybody in particular, but people would look at you and Jimmy Dore, who I have a lot of admiration for, and just be like, these guys are evil. They'd say yeah. just evil. Like, I don't know if you ever see it or anything, but it's it's out there. Like, and people do that. And, like, I freak out when I have, like, one guy who has, like, a Pepe the Frog animation that gets at me, like, all crazy avatar. But, like, you have, like, people from, like, Wikipedia, like, on oh, your yeah. ass and stuff. Yeah. And, like, and it, it really, like... Like how do you how do you deal with like like I mean I I hate to just reduce all that down to haters but what other word is it like how do you how do you deal with that because like you seem calm like all the time about this type of stuff. Well, I think rare candy does deserve to be uh, bigger and therefore more widely hated than it currently and hated, is. Yeah, 
Thank I you. mean, that's what would happen. I mean, you would, you would be featured in like Rolling Stone, like anti-vaxxer conspiracy <laughs> podcast, yeah. uh, taking the world by storm. Like uh, a, a ticker, a ticker of how many people we've killed, and it's just going up and up and up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, but it, it yeah. all depends on the kind of cycle. I'm sure you would you would handle it the same way I do, in that you know you frame it psychologically as a kind of win. Okay. There are times when people hate me where I knew I know I did something wrong and mm -hmm. I, you know, it makes me feel bad. It's usually something, you know, from my personal life and my past. Right, where you, right, right, right. And you just try to do better. But yeah. what what I'm doing makes people hate me because uh, they are either themselves captured by the evil force of neoconservatism or they're just propagandized. And they see me uh, challenging their identity and I'm forcing them to entertain questions that if they, if they did so would cause their identity to come apart in their hands immediately. Yeah. Um, and I'm also someone who they may have previously identified with because I do come from liberalism and I'm going through, right, I'm right. constantly going through this process of consciousness and trying to understand the world. And so it takes me further and further away from those origins and but i'm not going to the the right as they understand it they want to say that i'm not going mm -hmm. to yeah. anything that they can identify so it's confusing to them and it makes them angry but the other issue is that there is a concerted campaign to assassinate my character because assassinating me physically is just uncouth in American society. And I haven't done anything that's risen to the level of Julian Assange that would merit me being arrested. Although I was arrested and jailed for like 48 hours, but it was like more of kind of an informal operation. Right. My arrest was ordered by a federal judge six months after a phony allegation was made against me by a political opponent, but that's nothing compared to what happened to Julian Assange. But so what, what's done with me and other people like me is we get Wikipedia pages that make us look like um, pariahs, political and social pariahs. And yeah. Wikipedia is itself controlled in many ways yeah. by the intelligence services. Its CEO, Jimmy Wales, has personally said that the Gray Zone, the site that I founded and that I edit, is a Russian propaganda vehicle, false, completely false. And he uh, is on the board of an organization called NewsGuard, funded by the Pentagon and State Department, which gave us a red rating, which means that if you try to read the gray zone on a Microsoft computer in like a public library or school, a red flag will come up warning you that we are an evil site. So it's a form of assassination. By other, it's sort of like a softest digital assassination where like I – you know, let's you went to high school with me or something, and you're like, "What's Max doing?" So I'm going to Google him. Then immediately, my Wikipedia page yeah, comes yeah. up, and it says evil, <laughs> bad person. And if you're stupid, uh, but educated, then you're just gonna you're gonna believe that I'm a Holocaust denying, self hating, uh, Russian loving, pro terrorist uh, conspiracy theorist. It literally says that, and the Gray Zones page is even worse. So I look at it kind of as a uh, I don't want to, as a badge of honor, or maybe kind of like a a, a, a a decoration, like a service decoration in this political war we're in, in a fake liberal democracy. 
Yeah. And, and I think other people, you know, other smart people understand that you all understand that the people who support the gray zone understand that. And the best thing we can do, like, I don't have this hold out this hope for some revolution, but if we're going to be here and I'm going to still live in this society and I'm still going to, uh, be a political journalist, an independent journalist. I'm just going to get up every day and be the biggest bastard I can and let the yeah. chips fall where Love they it. may. Let it crystallize itself later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's perfectly said. And it's like, you know, the other day, I, 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 not the other day, but it's a while back, I see Jimmy Dore goes on Tucker. And like, I'm not the biggest Tucker fan. I think there's there's definitely an, uh, a thing that that happens there. But it's the biggest news show in the United States. And Jimmy Dore gets to go on there and talk about what he wants to talk about. He's never going to get invited on MSNBC. He's never going to get invited on CNN. And that, um, to be honest, his politics years ago, even though he was always, you know, to the left of them and stuff, it would have made more sense for him to have gone on there than Fox News 10 years ago. Right. It would have just made a lot more sense. But it's like nowadays when people say, oh, they're a right wing person, it says, no, the right wing just let let that guy talk on TV. They gave him a platform, which people say that's evil nowadays. That's like akin to genocide now when you give the wrong person a platform. But it's it's to me, it's like I don't think people understand. The point is, is like, why does Jimmy Dore have to go to Fox News to say what he wants on like a national level? You know what I mean? Like, why does that happen? That's the problem here is that he has to go on those type of those type of places. And 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 I think you have the same kind of thing where it's yeah. like if you want to go anywhere other than your own site, it's like probably going to be more right leaning right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he, yeah. And it, we're in a guerrilla war and in a guerrilla war, you don't get to choose the terrain that you fight on. You take so opportunity. You, you take advantage of the terrain and exploit your enemy's vulnerabilities. And so whether it's the Twitter files with Elon Musk, Elon Musk gets to set the terrain because he is a billionaire oligarch in an oligarchy. And Tucker Carlson got a national platform that was opened up further when all of the advertisers pulled out under pressure. And then Mike Lindell, the pillow guy came in with the ads <laughs> and, and, and a few other like advertisers that don't care what Tucker says. And so whatever Tucker wants to say, he gets to say, and if we get a time slot to speak to a national audience on the most popular cable news show in America, yeah. we're going to take it <laughs> because that's what Che Guevara told us to do in his book on guerrilla warfare. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're endorsing all of Tucker's other views. It's just like, I need to find a way to reach my fellow Americans if I'm going to be in the U S and I chose to stay here. I chose to live in what I'm choosing to live in Washington, DC in the heart of the empire. And so I'm going to, I don't get to set the terrain, but I'm going to take advantage of it where I can. Absolutely. And so um, on, on that note, I, uh, once again, I really appreciate you coming by. Um, that was, it was very, very fun. I'm glad we were able to get you on the, on the show Definitely. again. Now I will say, I've got to do a shameless plug here. Now, if you guys are here for max, you guys have never heard of us. Um, we do have a sub stack. My co-host Cy here is a wonderful writer. He has a series called Bob's red pill. There's a lot of really cool health stuff on there. Um, we also have premium episodes like this one you're hearing for free. We got other stuff that we charge for, but it's all, you know, a lot more source material based fiction book club called gain of fiction. And, uh, there's a lot of really, uh, really cool stuff going on there. And, uh, Matt, uh, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it always. Thanks a lot, Glenn and Cy. I'm a big fan. Keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely, man. We will be in touch. Everybody have a safe week, okay?